Hello, everybody, and welcome to the G6 Podcast. It's Mike here, the baritone in the group, running in to salvage what has been quite a stressful experience recording podcasts <laughs> um, over the last month. We've tried very hard. We've tried some so hard. But we, were, we were failed by technology on numerous occasions. Yeah, the thing is, ultimately, as musicians, we work best when we're in the same room together. Indeed. And I'm joined today by Andrew Leslie Cooper um, in a church where we are actually recording some real music. Green shoots are coming, and that is very appropriate for this episode, which is all about springtime. We're going to talk about Easter. We're going to talk about the fact that music is returning. It's very exciting. I mean, just today, um, I can see that the guidelines have been updated in churches around the country and means we might actually have more than three-part music sung at Easter, which is a great joy, I'm sure, for people who are sick to death of performances <laughs> of admittedly the wonderful bird mass of three voices. Um so without further ado, I think it's it's a good thing to get onto the news, of which there is a little bit of Yay. news today. The news. As I hinted to listeners a minute ago, we are in St Bartholomew the Great in Smithfield, fabulous church, great friend to us, and we are recording a Tenebrae service. Currently, well, not currently, obviously, we're recording the podcast, <laughs> and actually the rest of the group are um, leading a workshop at the moment for the girl choristers uh, in Wakefield. So if you can hear whispers on the wind of, 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 a, of a loud and slightly agricultural tenor uh, <laughs> warming up, that's, that's Joseph Wicks demonstrating his impeccable vocal technique <laughs> to um, a selection of teenage girls. It's quite exciting to be here in, in St Bart's today. This is sort of the, the manifestation of of a relationship that has been in the works for sort of over a year now, well over a year now. And today is the first time that we are singing a service at St. Bart's. So Liturgically, yeah, we'd missed yeah. a couple of times. We were going to do Epiphany. I mean, we were going to do Holy Week last year, but this little thing called COVID keeps getting in the way. Anyway, yeah. it's lovely for us as an opportunity to sing as much Jesualdo as we can get in to a, a religious experience and actually the most we've done in a service ever. So we're singing six... Uh, of the movements from a selection of the Tenebrae Responsories. Yeah. Um, that will be out on Good Friday, and hopefully this podcast will be out before Good Friday, so you can um, so you can watch it. Um, the other thing, of course, we've been to St Bart's a couple of times recently to record our Lent sessions, which you might have you might have caught up with already. Um, they're still available now, and they'll be available until the middle of April, I believe. It's a really nice. Um, sort of contemplative series which we've been releasing every Sunday um, in Lent with hymns and with chant and with anthems, effectively just acting as little musical signposts through a time of year which I think is very um, means a lot to musicians and non-musicians alike. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I think it's felt really important to mark that this year as it's been a more Lenten Lent than usual. Mm. It's been a, a year of Lent in yeah. a way because the pandemic, well, the, the lockdowns, in the UK started right in the middle of Lent. We could sort of smell them coming, couldn't we? I remember, I remember as, uh, as Ash Wednesday was happening and as Lent began, we were, you know, we were hearing the news from all over the world of, of terrible things happening because of this virus. And, you know, even, even, you know, even February of, of last year, 
I still remember thinking, gosh, that's awful. I yeah. hope, hope that doesn't affect yeah, my exactly. life too well, much. And the last, you know, things, things had really, the proverbial had really hit the fan by the time we were doing our CD launch concert for Fading. Again in this church. It's funny how we seem to keep coming back to yes, us. Yes, indeed. Um, but that was, that was the, basically the last thing we did together for three or four months. Um, but anyway, we've got distracted from Lent sessions. Lent sessions have been a really nice experience to come into this beautiful building, record them, record, you know, we've actually we've released all the hymns on social media every every Sunday when we've been putting them up and it's astounding the kind of traction and the kind of resonance that these simple strophic homophonic melodies have with with our audience and we love that you love them because we love them and we know that you can't sing them in church and <laughs> you know if it provides some comfort or enjoyment to listen to us perform and maybe sing along at home then more power to you yeah, one of the one of the great responses that we've had so far has been that it's uh, for for a lot of churchgoers, this has been a sort of musical outlet for them during the season of Lent because either their their church choir that, you, that they sing in or that they enjoy listening to every Sunday has either been muted or has been reduced to just three voices, which uh, which obviously limits the scope of of a repertoire that you can experience in in church. Um, and so, and the, these these recitals have been very. I mean, I think purposefully, we we made them very churchy. You know, every every one of these recitals has a hymn, and every one of them has um, some plain song, you know, and it's and it's plain song that's uh, textually appropriate for that for for the, for the given Sunday where we are in Lent. Uh, in addition to, of course, some some cracking polyphony each time. Anyway. We've talked a bit about Lent sessions, but we'll give you a deeper dive into those later on in the podcast. Other items of news, where have we been? Well, we've just come back from somewhere that isn't our own houses. We've been away, we've been touring, we've been staying in York for five days in residence at the National Centre for Early Music um, for their Awaken Festival, which is a fabulous experience. That's that's on your screens from the, well, this Saturday as we're recording it, so you will definitely be able to watch it again. We do a fabulously exciting concert in four different venues around York. And actually for our um, feature, this podcast, on sort of behind the scenes, uh, Owen has a little chat with Delma Tomlin, who is director of the York Early Music Festival and all-round superwoman. And she'll give you a little bit of a taster of the York music scene which is flowering um a white rose i guess it would be in yorkshire <laughs> yes. um but good time had we did a concert streamed live for early music day of our joskin's legacy program which will have made guy very very happy to give it its full outing it's obviously it's still locked down but it feels different when it's locked down in another city yeah it's one as beautiful as york Another item for the news, yeah. we've been doing lots of educational workshops recently. Yeah, that's very true. Over Zoom. Uh, yeah, well, exclusively over Zoom. I did one on Teams yesterday. Actually, oh, okay. I apologise. I apologise. Um, we've, been, we've been reaching out to a lot of the choral foundations around the country, primarily to sort of set some projects in motion for when, for when concerts can start happening again and for when choirs really get back into the swing of things but so far our relationships with these foundations has been primarily uh, just doing doing workshops so we've we've been 
leading some technical exercises and doing Q&A sessions and offering our perspectives on the various pieces that the choirs sing and our experiences with them. And it's, all, it's been all around very fun. We've, we've talked to lots of different uh, children and adults. Uh, yeah, it's, um, been, it's been smashing. It's not something I've had a huge amount of experience doing outside of that one-to-one singing teaching. And it's been really exciting. I was doing a workshop but yesterday with um, a whole selection of students from Wellington um, down in Somerset. And that was from year seven through to year 13, all bubbled up in separate classrooms. Wow. But I think it was quite a moving experience for the teachers specifically because it's the first time they heard the choir in some capacity sing in the same physical space, albeit <laughs> separated by doors. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like you can sing together at the moment as, as amateurs or as, as non-bubbled groups. So, you know, we're close. That's the exciting things, you know. At the end of the day, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Well, there you are. Uh, that's the news. Nice to be able to bring uh, you some. Some Martin in the Fields? Oh, yes. That's a good point. And into the future we go. I look into my magic ball. This is, this is news which is so new that it's not even news yet. We will be doing a concert post-Easter uh, in the St Martin in the Fields Spring Series in which we bring you English motets, both from our CD and ones which we've discovered since. Yes. Quite exciting. Actually, quite a lot of anthems because we're doing more stuff in English rather than in Latin. Bit bringing you some gibbons, bringing you some bird, bringing you some talus. All of the all of your English motets friends will be coming and giving you tunes. And to clarify, Mike said that uh, the motets that we've discovered since the CD, they've been discovered before. <laughs> before yes, <laughs> discovered by us. Just to clarify, they are new new to the group, yeah. but st- but very much within the musical canon already. Indeed, we indeed. haven't we haven't unearthed some uh, no. some new monumental I mean, motets. By guy guy has been doing plenty of research, but largely into the sort of Ferraran and and kind of Franco-Flemish vibe, mm. rather, rather than the English stuff. More's the pity. I mean, I think he'll be getting back to his sources when the British Library opens back up again. Yes. Um, yeah, you can barely, barely keep him contained at the moment. He's raring to go. Mm. He's champing at the bit. Fabulous. Well, that's the news. We've got yeah, one concert on the horizon. There you go. Can't wait. Exactly. Well, you know, lead times being what they are, who knows? Now it's time for Behind the Scenes, where we find out more about the individuals who are instrumental in the inner workings of their local music scene. Last time we heard from conductor David Ogden, who has spent a lifetime working in Bristol. Now we take the cross-country service, it's probably delayed, from Temple Meads to York, where I'm delighted to be joined by Delma Tomlin, a musician and merchant adventurer. Hello, Delma. Hello. Hi. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Not so long since we saw each other. No, it's been all of three days or four days, but it was street when we were together. Thank you. Yes, we had a fantastic time filming for the Awaken Festival and it was brilliant to see some of the venues firsthand and sing, of course, in the beautiful York Minster. Uh, But we're here to talk about the music of the city of York. Maybe we could start, I mean, you have so many different hats uh, in the city. Maybe we could start with the, the National Centre for Early Music and how that all came to be. Sure. I I came to the city a while ago to run what was then York Festival and Mystery Plays, which was a council-run festival which embraced music, uh, art, dance, theatre and sport at the time. And, of course, the Mystery Plays, which had been reinvigorated, for want of a better phrase, uh, in 1951 as part of the Festival of Britain. So I started off with an enormous advantage 
of coming to a city, um, not knowing anybody at all, but very quickly meeting, as it were, everybody, because it was such a big, high-profile festival. And at the end of that festival, um, I'd, uh, we had made uh, money and we'd had a very successful festival. And the Arts Council at that stage asked me to take on the York Early Music Festival, which had been started in 1977 uh, by a group of really enthusiastic, great young musicians. Um, and, but it had just slightly lost its way uh, because there's a whole series of politics in a, in, a, in a city like York. It's a very small city and you just need to know how to work your way through all these different issues, really. And so I took that on uh, and then almost immediately uh, was asked also by the Arts Council to run what was then Sheffield Chamber Music Festival, which morphed into Music in the Round. Uh, and with the Lindsay String Quartet. So I had the most perfect life, really, because I was working in York within the early music world and in Sheffield with the chamber music um, set up, which was just extraordinary. And that continued for a while with other freelance uh, contracts and jobs. And uh, But gradually, the issues around running a festival when you don't have your own venue um, became very clear to me, because if you... If, if you want to celebrate all that York is with these medieval churches, guild halls, houses, um, and obviously these things like York Minster, um, if you're entirely reliant on other people's, uh, if you like, generosity to allow you to use those buildings, it, it can get a bit complicated. Um, so there's a sort of sense of, hmm, it would be great to have our own space. And it's really odd, but if you are as it were, light of foot and just running a festival um, and you disappear after 10 days, people don't regard you in the same way as if you actually have a building, which by implication means you've got much more expense and uh, investment uh, and therefore much more to lose than before. <laughs> but suddenly you're much more like you know, part of the establishment. Anyway, so uh, mid-90s, when John Major launched the lottery, I approached what was then the Civic, what is the Civic Trust in York, and said what buildings were, um, if you like, in mothball, waiting for somebody to come along and change them into something. And St Margaret's was the logical place for us, because as you know, it's in a rather quiet part of town. It's surrounded um, by, it was at least, uh, in a very economically deprived area. So hence the fact that the lottery might be interested in it. And to cut a long story short, we opened in 2000 and we're now in 2021. So clearly have survived that, that, that process in between time. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And so in normal times, you, as you say, it's not just a 10 day festival. It's all year round you're doing events. How, how do you run such a sort of busy and distinguished series? Um, if you go backwards to the, the business of running a big festival and then run, working with Sheffield and, and York, um, I, never, I never could quite understand how people could bear to just run a festival and focus and then not effectively do anything practical for 48 weeks in a year, Owen. Um, 
I, I, I'm blessed, obviously, with a certain amount of energy and with a team who are willing to go with me, if you like, on this. But I, I, why would you just sit there? You know, why would you not, if you can, do things all the time and continue to create new, ideally, new ideas and new opportunities? Because although it's a little exhausting occasionally, it's so much more fun than just... <laughs> to get home <laughs> well i'm glad to hear you say that i mean that's really refreshing as artists to hear that because um you know a lot of festivals find themselves just uh, let's say uh, summertime so there's a big kind of a uh, load of opportunities that come up uh, but musicians need to be working all year round so to have somewhere Absolutely. that is uh, and also for the local community as well somewhere reliable a bit like somewhere like york minster you know with that sort of daily pattern of services um that they can rely on the fact that the national center for early music will have things to enjoy throughout the year absolutely so we, we become a tourist attraction as well as everything else so we're working within all sorts of different communities so you're contributing mm. to the economic development obviously of the city and certainly if we go back to when um, the NCM was first developed that area was very poor and as you know now it's full of artisan little shops on the way into York um, and there's a lot of new build particularly for the student accommodation around us and it looks quite smart. Um, it doesn't look over smart and it's never going to. That's not that end of town. But it's just a great place to be based. Certainly just having been in York, we were aware that it's a city full of history where walls and gates from the medieval period are sort of set against 20th and 21st century builds. Um, this amazing sort of concoction of different styles. Um, but we sang in the Merchant Adventurers Hall and you've been a Merchant Adventurer for a, a number of years and you also received an award last year, didn't you? Oh, I was, I was awarded Freedom of the City, bestowed Freedom of the City, which is bestowed by the council um, on, uh, although I say so myself, very few people. Um, and it was a huge honour. Um, because it's something that the council can give you. It, it, there are very few things that councils can give you legitimately. Um, and that's just, that's obviously just one off. <laughs> but we have yet to have a do. Um, and we do, of course, have a mansion house in York and a right honourable Lord Mayor. So at some stage, when we're all allowed to communicate with each other again, I shall, I get a little scroll uh, and, and a sort of a speech, which will be absolutely lovely. But the Merchant Adventurers Hall, of course, which was um, yeah, basically opened in, in 1357, I ask you. Um, so 660 odd years later, that same building is owned and used by the same community that conceived it in the first place, which is just extraordinary. Because as you are, are aware in, in London, there are many guilds, but so many of those beautiful uh, buildings have either been destroyed in 1666 in the Great Fire or by the Luftwaffe in the Second World War. So we are just extraordinary. And as you say, the wood and the way that the, the, the Great Hall, which is the building, the space upstairs where you were performing to start off with, those trees would already have been mature trees of course, by the time that they were transported to York all that time ago in the, in the 14th century. 
Um, so it's, it's absolutely steeped and you can see, we, we never had time really to look at it properly, but you can see some of the scorch marks as well on the, the wood where people obviously lit candles and just got a bit too close to what's, uh, what's wow. going on. Thank goodness they didn't get any closer. Yeah. Um, but it, it is the most fabulous space and uh, it is a great honour to, I will be their first female governor uh, which obviously in 660 years is a bit of a like a gosh moment really have to see how I get on <laughs> I'm sure you'll be brilliant <laughs> about time <laughs> um, not exactly speedy are they but never mind no quite so in normal times if somebody is visiting the UK for the first time say uh, what musical activities are taking place in York and what could they expect to hear there, there's a huge amount of amateur music making all the time under normal circumstances there are concerts all the time somewhere or other I mean obviously in the Minster but also St Michael of Belfry the church next door at the University of York uh, obviously at the NCM um, there's a theatre the Theatre Royal there and there's, there's actually a second theatre which is a similar sort of size called the Grand Theatre so normally again there's two lots of shows going on there um, and then there are often um, activities happening sort of outside so that there's within the museum gardens, there's little music proms and things like that and the rest of it. So in, an, as I say, the normal world, uh, there's a huge amount happening. People who come to the early music festival in July tend to come for the whole 10 days and book accommodation. And uh, by the end of the, of the festival, frankly, are, are, are exhausted bless them because they don't like to miss anything <laughs> no so I sort of pace it to some extent so they're allowed little food eating time uh, but otherwise it's sort of crack on to get the whole theme by the end of it all and then go home for a lie down I think yeah, quite. <laughs> and we were filming as part of the Awaken Festival an online series um, what plans do you have for introducing audiences back to the NCM over the course of the next few months? Well, after the 17th of May, if, if, that's, if, it's, if it works, uh, we will be hosting our Beverly Early Music Festival, which is literally 10 days later, with a small socially distanced audience. And I've been contacting the patrons and friends who've already booked, because of course they booked last year, to some extent this has been carried over anyway, to say, how comfortable do you feel about coming? Because, um, you know, even with a socially distanced audience, and we will, we will absolutely at this point retain space between people um, and very limited audience. But of course, we'll film it as well and, and share later. Um, and most of them are saying, yep, absolutely great. Others are saying, perhaps not just this year. Uh, yes, we are comfortable that you know how to deal with these things, but we don't feel comfortable in the streets uh, and all the rest of it. So we'll, we'll see. So that, uh, I mean, it's very exciting, the potential of that. But of course, in Beverly, again, we've got Beverly Minster and uh, St Mary's and lovely range of beautiful buildings, but they're not owned by us. So that the negotiation uh, with each person and they haven't necessarily been running concerts for the last year as I have. So the, their understanding of COVID arrangements um, isn't the same as ours. So it, it's, it's much more complicated than it, as it were, would normally be. But there will be a festival. 
And then we will have events during June as part of the York Festival of Ideas at the NCM, one or two bits and bobs going on then. And then when York Early Music Festival will be truncated shorter than usual uh, and filmed, of course. But again, we'll have real live people there. Um, and then we'll see where we go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fingers crossed. I know no, yes. no, nobody knows what the future holds, but it, um, it was a real treat to visit York anyway. Get outside of London. Um, I first, I first visited York when um, you were running the composers' competition um, in twenty ten. Was that the first year that you run the competition? And we started it in Beverly um, a year or so beforehand. But then had moved into into thinking about the NCM. Um, so you were very early on, and obviously a star winner, if one may say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I remember taking my uh, my GCSE. Um, uh, well, I don't know if it was physics, biology, or chemistry. Can't remember. But one of the exams while up in York, just to make sure that I could then make the master class the next day, yes. um, which was fantastic with the Eva singers um, uh, at the centre. And um, we had feedback on the competition. And how do, so how does that work for you in terms of, you know, National Centre for Early Music, but working with composers writing contemporary pieces? We always knew from the very outset that we couldn't just be an early music centre, albeit a national um, centre, that there wasn't, um, th that it would be inappropriate for York anyway. And it's certainly inappropriate in the sense of trying to engage younger people who don't understand early music um, in uh, the joy, if you like, of the instruments that are available to them if they are introduced to them. And as you know, with the competition, the, the every three years now is the Talis Scholars. And we're extraordinarily lucky because so many uh, young people um, in this country have had the benefit, as you have, of being a choral scholar or an organ scholar and understanding that marvellous uh, sound world that is, is the choral world. But in between time, we've introduced um, a, a viol uh, with Liam Byrne and had an extraordinarily contemporary edge to the competition award that particular year. But it brought people back into what an extraordinary instrument that is, which obviously went out of fashion in terms of a regular string quartet band, you know, a long time ago. And people were like, ooh, you know. And so it's 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 sort of it's for us, it's been really interesting. And um as you as as I left you or you, you left me earlier this week, Mike gave me a CD that he and Helen have uh, put together called Isolation, uh, which is a great CD. And on it, um, they have used all sorts of composers, including you, of course, who have been involved in the in the award uh, over the years. And I felt incredibly proud that we had chosen such a, a fantastic crop, if you like, of composers who, and engaged them with an interest in early music as well as obviously contemporary music. Yeah, that CD is actually out. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday, and it's out today, uh, which is really exciting. Ah, I got I got an early version. You did? I yeah, I know. I'm, I'm waiting for my copy. No, I've got my copy. Um, so yeah, the isolation songbook from Mike and Helen. In fact, they came to talk about the it's a sort of genesis of the project back when they were conceiving it, uh, sort of last uh, June, July. And it's fantastic to see how far that's come. Um, yes, it is. I've just got one more quick thing, and that's just to ask if you 
could offer one piece of advice to uh, a young musician who has a real interest in early music but doesn't quite know where to start. They want to be a performer. What what can they do to to further their dream and, and start to get involved? Well, at a, at a younger stage, just pre-college stage, pre-university, uh, pre-conservatoire, um, um, if, if you like, find people like you, people who are a bridge, um, because you are uh, much, obviously much younger than me, um, you know, you're on the way up, you are very, as a group, you're all male, which is just perfect in the sense that you would then encourage young boys potentially to think that they can also sing and that sort of type of thing. But you are offering things in a, in a very easy way. You're doing short little concerts with the Lenten series that you're doing and you're just saying, try it. It doesn't matter, you know, just learn, go, if you, when you can go out again, go and enjoy the space and just, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, it's fine. Um, by the time you get to the conservatoire level, of course, there are programmes which you're obviously very aware of, um, like Emerging and the New Generation Baroque Ensemble that we're currently looking for with Radio 3 uh, and the Royal College of Music. Um, and they, why cat all those sorts of ways of, of helping. Uh, you have been immensely successful um, in a way on your own. You, you know, you've done your own recordings, you uh, have had an agent you are all very focused on your business model as well as your singing uh, which of course will, will help um, certainly there isn't I'm afraid at any point in just being marvelous uh, as a musician you need to find a way of making a living and you're doing that so bravo on you well thanks yeah well you know <laughs> we try our best um but thank you so much, Delma, for sharing um, your experiences with us. Uh, it's fascinating to hear that um, somebody who's so sort of deeply ingrained in the, the musical fabric of a city like York. Uh, it's really, really insightful. So um, look forward to visiting again before too long. Best of luck with all of the online and in-person events that you're planning for this year. Thank you very much, Owen. It's a great treat to talk to you. Thank you. Hey. So as we hinted at quite extensively in the news, um, Lent Sessions is basically the project which has been occupying most of our brain space as we've been locked down. So, you know, we filmed it before, we filmed most of the sessions before Ash Wednesday. Um, yeah, back in January, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was really quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, and have been putting them together over the past, well, 40 days and immediately mm -hmm. previously. It's been really exciting to see members of this group flower into audiovisual professionals like um joseph and owen and josh are demons when it comes to putting together putting together this stuff and we film it all ourselves as well g6 studios is growing in in um, stature as a you know major thing they'll be taking over 20th century fox anytime soon yeah, I reckon. yeah um and you know we really do it's it, it maybe we may be reaching the sort of crux of holy week and things are happening and you know, Passion Tide and all of that, but do, if you haven't caught them, just check out, check out the free stuff we've put out online. It's, I think it's a really lovely series and I'm really proud of what we've done in terms of we're not a liturgical ensemble. Mm. We're not attached to a church. We don't spend our time doing that, but it's really nice because there's not very many of us we're allowed to perform together at the moment to kind of do a facsimile of that in our own way, with our own slant. You know, I really enjoy singing chant. 
Um, and it's been really nice to explore that with my friends and my colleagues, who I don't really do very much of it with. And we've developed that kind of vocabulary for singing this stuff. You know, at the end of the day, chant is music as much as any other type of, you know, polyphonic writing which came afterwards. Someone, Gregory or whoever wrote the Gregorian chant, sat down and wrote these pieces as music. And they were looked at the text and they were like, well, this is the introit for the second Sunday in Lent. What does it mean to me and how am I going to reflect that? And I think yeah. it's easy to forget that when you see CD upon CD of like, a hundred relaxing chant anthems, seven, <laughs> sung by the monks of insert copyright free abbey here. You know, yeah. it's it's seen as kind of some meditative aid, but it's more than that. I mean, for one thing, Gregorian chant, you you know, you could say that it's the root point for all of Western music. Yeah. Um, but besides from that lineage, it's also it also plays a direct role in a huge amount of compositions. Mm. You know, I'm I'm talking about things like Durafle Requiem, mm -hmm. which has chant all the way through it, yeah. or you know, or polyphonic motets that have a, a tenor singing the plain song the whole yeah. way through. And I think because so many of those pieces we treat plain song as just a rock, yeah. you know, a, an immovable, yeah. immovable, you know, part of the furniture of Western music. But mm. but as you as you correctly pointed out, it's 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 creative. Yeah. Someone sat down. And composed them. Yeah. And the thing is, it really comes to life when you perform it in a building like Bart's as well, because you need an acoustic for it, realistically. You want to hear the implied harmony in the monody. And when you, you know, when you sing a descending triad in an acoustic, you hear that chord. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very naive. I was watching an interesting, I was watching a video of Bernstein recently, giving one of his, pontificating in one of his great <laughs> lectures on, you know, this is how classical music developed. And it's very, it's very 1960s, very teleological, very... We have gone from um, a lack of sophistication to the great sophistication which we are now at. Um, you know, and he starts, he's, he's talking about harmonic series and, you know, people discovering the third and all of that kind of thing. Like, these sound worlds will have been there. And, you know, if you, if you, if you sing in a big acoustic, a chant, but sort of quite a funky chant, especially in a funny mode, yeah. you get some really adventurous sounding harmonic language appearing. Um, in a way that you know sound can sound really quite modern. Yeah, I mean mode four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah that, that's mode seven. Well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> good not, modes. Not, yeah, exactly. Write in. What's your favourite mode? Let's go through all the modes and rank them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's not. <laughs>